Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models episode 117. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And on that topic, today we've got a returning champion from Estonia, Mr. Preet Mikkelsen. Preet, how are you doing? So far, so good. You know, how good can people do in this situation? So I'm all right. Are you guys in lockdown at the moment? So it's a, it's a funny story. We were closed, I think... Uh, a little bit later than mid-December, like not mid, but a little bit a week later. So we closed it and then they opened us up, in, I think, two weeks ago. And so there was talks also in actually this Thursday, that's, you know, last Thursday, that uh, they're going to have new restrictions and then things going to go to shit more. And then we were preparing actually to close it again after two weeks being open. But happens to be like we're still open. So tomorrow we have a still a gym is open. We're doing we have a restriction thing. We you know we can't swap partners and stuff. But we're lucky we can be open. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's better than nothing. I've been off the mats for the last year or so, Ooh. and it's yeah. Well, I I mean, I've got I've got people in my family who I don't want to expose this thing to. Okay. And for me, jujitsu is a hobby. So if I've got to take time off, I can take time off. But okay. man, yeah. If you have a business that depends on this on being open and on having your customers come in, it's not a good time. Yeah, so Estonia was pretty pretty awesome in all the numbers, you know, the ratios. But now I think we're second in Europe, I think, as the, you know, as an infectious people to 100,000 ratio or something. Oh boy, yeah, that's that's one of the things about this virus is you can go from doing really well to doing really poorly quite quickly. Yeah. Here in yeah. BC, Canada, for a long time, we were one of the world leaders in terms of keeping the numbers down. And I think maybe we got cocky and then the numbers started to go up and up and up. And we had to start putting restrictions into place to to combat the second wave. So it's it's a tricky thing because that's exponential growth for you, right? At first, maybe it doesn't seem like there's that many cases. But if you're lazy, before you know it, everything has to lock down again. Yes. So and also, you know, there. I'm not into conspiracies and stuff, but you can debate like maybe some decisions are not the most logical ones, you know, and some restrictions and how everything's going to act and everybody's going to pretend uh, like masks and no mask and you can do this and that. And like we have a basketball is allowed because also previously was allowed because in basketball, there's a random contact, you know, mm -hmm. they say it's a random contact. So it's not that, you know, purposeful contact like jujitsu something or like close combat arts and so that's the reasoning and you go like just just scratch your head okay okay how, how is that makes any sense you know yeah yeah i've noticed that here too and you know what i think it is i think it's just that jujitsu is still very much a fringe sport so when health authorities are putting together their guidelines on what you should and shouldn't do, yeah. they're thinking of big things, right? They're thinking of things that they know about, like yoga classes, right? Stuff that everyone is aware of. They're not thinking about this little fringe grappling hobby that only a few people do. And that is one of the challenges that a lot of the gym owners have reported here in BC, which is that the guidance that's put out pretty clearly they're not really thinking about jujitsu when they're putting that together, right? They're thinking about much more popular activities. So you wind up with these weird situations where maybe some activities are banned and other activities are allowed, but it's like, why is that the case? I mean, if, if you look at them on their surface, shouldn't maybe they all be banned? But just due to holes in the guidance that comes from our health authority, it can be a challenge for a lot of small business owners if it's a fringe activity like jujitsu, right? Because that's not really something that I think the health authorities are thinking about. 
Yeah, but in Estonia we have a you know wrestling and judo is pretty popular, so they mm -hmm. they know like combat arts and stuff. But but I guess yeah, it's not an easy decision, and it's it's you know it's a different situation, and they do what they do, and but it's it feels sometimes a bit unfair, and that's the frustration part, you know, uh, yeah. because we we do everything we can, and we're following rules, and and we haven't had like those you know surges of you know infection rates in the club and. So, you know, it is what it is. We're, we're happy that we can be open. We have been closed now twice in March till mid-March till beginning of June. And now the second time was, well, actually, we were happy because a lot of, lot of clubs were closed, even summer and fall. But we were open starting June and then they closed us down uh, again in, in December. So we had it better than a lot of places, actually. So, so yeah. we've been lucky to save some money and, you know, we hope we still have a club and Monday, tomorrow we will continue. Nice, nice. Well, I do appreciate you and all of the others who take this thing really, really seriously. You know, there's a lot of gym owners out there right now who think that COVID is a hoax or a joke. And the problem is that kind of attitude just makes it worse for the rest of us, right? I mean, in addition yeah. to spreading a virus, you're just prolonging this thing and making it so that we all have to, you know, basically deal with the repercussions of those those decisions for a much, much longer time. If you've got people out there who are not taking this seriously and they're they're not doing what they should be doing to combat the spread, the problem is those poor decisions, they reflect on all of us and they make it just such that this thing is going to drag out even longer because all it takes is a few people to disregard the health orders and then the rest of us suffer. And that's one of the areas where I feel really bad for gym owners because I know a lot of gym owners and business owners who take this thing really seriously. Like business compliance here in BC, it's like 99% in terms of complying with the government guidelines. But that's gotta be really frustrating when the businesses are complying, but all of these individuals are just flaunting the orders and this yeah. virus is spreading because these individuals are doing this. So you as a business owner are doing your best to, to help out, but a bunch of dumbasses are spreading this thing around and it's just going to make it worse for everyone. So thank you again for taking this thing seriously. It's good to have yeah. leadership in the community. <laughs> all good, all good. <laughs> you know, this kind of actually ties into this a little bit. Something that you have been saying, and I, of course, I follow you on Reddit and I follow you on Facebook and Instagram. So I have a pretty good idea of what your philosophy is. And last time we spoke, you were just about to launch your new defensive BJJ platform. And since then, it's launched. And my understanding is it's going up like a rocket ship. Like I, I hear so many good things about this platform. And I love the fact that you're actively engaging the community and you've got this two-way dialogue with everyone who has questions or comments for you. And you're also open to criticism. And that's something that I think is, is really valuable because a lot of the so-called experts in our sport, as soon as you start asking them tough questions, they'll block you, right? Whereas I've seen you just wade onto Reddit and have really difficult conversations with people who maybe don't believe in all of the aspects of what you're doing. And following your discussions, something that I've seen you say repeatedly mm -hmm. is that you think we should train jujitsu more like a sport. And I'd love to explore a bit what you mean by that. Cool. So basically it's... Uh... I know some some one of my friends, Rondel Benjamin from from Trinidad Tobago, actually said that I should be careful of using that term because I can be cornered because there's a you know jutsu can be used differently also for self defense or for just recreational purposes and uh, sometimes sport. I specifically use sport, but I think I'm maybe more polite way or soft way would be like games. But I like sport because sport is sweaty. Sport is you you play basketball. That is a sport. So I don't I don't mean medals. I, I mean like a physical activity. And I also mean that the way we play or train sports. Because I'm really resisting, you know, like old talks I've had that I really resist the, the teaching methods of jiu-jitsu that you do a half an hour warm-up and then you do ten techniques, uh, three of them maybe, and then you roll. So this is not how sports are played or taught. So it should be, you know, a little light warm up right to the point. There's some, you know, some introduction stage and then it's like a progressive resistance drilling, playing scenarios, making people solve their own problems, having those micro games, adjustments, you know, feedback. When I say sport, I mean more more that. So because if I say I'm afraid, I'm not like, you know, I'm not shaking every day in that sense, but 
but uh, I'm afraid that uh, jiu-jitsu in some some way moves towards the traditional martial arts because I've also known when I've traveled I've I've been asked also that oh if you teach a class tell people that they would stick around for sparring because many of them don't like that and uh, so I, I you know I don't teach a class the way I usually teach it very active you know it's rather drilling progressive resistance it's not like dead repetition and you know you have to memorize steps or whatever and uh, then I had to do the speech kind of like uh, I didn't mind and so stay here try it you we have our specific sparring rules that you can try this new thing under pressure because they have to be there otherwise you know you kind of learn something and you you cannot use it in sparring mostly and that's kind of sucks and uh, so and people don't like sparring because learning techniques makes them feel good they learn punch of sweeps they can't pull them off but it looks good they feel nice and they go home afterwards and uh, also they don't get sweaty they don't get smushed so i think it's a dangerous trend i i can understand that if you know some i don't know older people training or something they don't roll at all or i don't know it's a different very very niche thing than maybe just for them, this would be okay or something, yeah? Even I think they could do some some very, I don't know, isolation sparring, even in very narrow positions, you know, or like older people or something, but because there is a value in there. Yeah. But so that's that's what I mean when I say sport, that we we have to stay true and uh, and we have to test and roll and and uh, teach it like a, like a, mostly would teach games or, you know, basketball, football, and they learn totally differently. So our sport is not that different. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I can understand why you're hesitant to use the terminology sport, because that's kind of a trigger word for a lot of people, right? We're in the middle of this big debate about sport jujitsu versus self-defense jujitsu. And that's not really what you're talking about. You're talking about the teaching and the practice methodologies, right? You're yeah. basically saying yeah. like, are we going to train this with the level of rigor and discipline that a real sport would use. I mean, I know people are going to get pissed off when they hear that because they're going to say, I love jujitsu and it's absolutely a real sport. But like, if we're being honest, if we're going to be completely honest about what needs to be done to get jujitsu to the next level, we got to be honest and admit that, you know, you said earlier, teaching methodologies in jujitsu aren't great. I would actually say that in a lot of places, teaching methodologies are non-existent. You know, in, in a lot of the classes that you go to, there has been no thought put into how to structure the class. Basically, people just come in and it's like, we'll do a warm up and then here's a random technique I want to show and then roll for 30 minutes. And the instructor has not put any cohesive thought into whether those techniques are the optimal way to learn. And I mean, imagine that you're a parent and your kid graduates high school and they go to university and you found out that the professors there were teaching the way that we teach jujitsu. Like, oh yeah, that my my professor, he had no plan. He just walked in and just talked about some stuff and then left. There's there's no textbook, there's no anything, you know, it's just random bits every here and there. That would not fly, right? And in jujitsu, yeah. we allow our instructors to basically just fly by the seat of the pants when they teach. And even the places where they create curriculums, right? You know, they they have like a quote unquote curriculum that everyone has to follow. Usually those are not based on any educational best practices or they're not based on any methods that are known to work. Like if you talk to a teacher, they'll look at the class structure that, you know, most jujitsu classes operate on where you've got like the 30 minute warm up technique of the day and then rolling. And they'll tell you, like, there are no educational principles applied here. <laughs> the, the teacher has yeah. not put any thought, the instructor has not put any thought into how to reduce cognitive load, how to increase retention and recall capabilities, how to troubleshoot. That whole level is missing. And if you look at real sports, they operate almost like a physical science with the amount of rigor that they have. And jujitsu doesn't have that, right? And I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, and I also understand that, you know, you know, we have to define what is a sport and, and all, you know, I'm not against self-defense stuff and people can do what they do, but also I think like self-defense can be trained with progressive resistance. You have those scenarios, one is bad, one is good, one is supposed to win. It's not like that in essence real, but you can, you can still, you know, have feedback and, you know, we have done in Estonia, we have a late Carl Tanswell from Manchester, UK. He had a stab program for knife fighting and I think uh, knife defense, so to speak. And uh, I know I've I've uh, taken some of it and we have trained knife defense with a 
with a, a bit crushed uh, Coca-Cola bottles because we could stab with them, you know? Yeah. Because they, they yield under pressure because we crushed them a little bit before, you know, so they're not that stiff. So they become like a springy. And we can mimic like really stabbing somebody. And, you know, sometimes you get the knife, sometimes you don't. And you can make it better like from, you know, 10 blocks, whatever you want to do, or 10 knife retentions. You get like, you know, first you get two of them, you get in the end of the class or end of the you know day, you get like six back. So so it's you see you're getting better, but you still got, you know, knifed like four times. But uh, mm -hmm. you, there's ways to make them better, so to speak. So it it's still like you know maybe the gamifying is better. But but I, I feel if I say let's treat jujitsu as a game, it also I think it shows it in a very light scenario. It's not it's not a game. It's it's a sport, and I really mean it's the way we train it. And then yes, yes, of course it's a martial art, and you can express yourself. But I don't want to take it like too artsy that it becomes very subjective, you know, like, oh, I have my truths and you have your truths. No, we have to test and certain things are common. We have to do certain things, you know, same way. And the sport aspect of that, that we're competing and trying and uh, against resisting opponents that will reveal what's what's common. So, yeah, so that's an, a fascinating point and something that I have felt quite a bit recently, which is that when we... And maybe this is just a cultural thing about the culture of jujitsu, which is very laid back and relaxed. But it really feels to me like in a lot of ways, jujitsu has more in common with yoga than it does with actual sports. Right. You talk to a lot of instructors and they don't present themselves in the way that, say, a world class wrestling coach would present themselves. They they present themselves the way that, say, a yoga instructor would. They're all about wellness and, you know, holistic health and that kind of stuff. And they're often talking about the stuff without really having any scientific basis for what they're talking about. And I feel sometimes that the culture of jujitsu, it has more in common with kind of yoga than it does with these very scientific sports. And I wonder if that that's why when instructors teach, they don't bring in best practices for education. They just kind of feel like, oh, well, this is like a holistic wellness thing. I'm just going to do what feels right. Whereas realistically, we should be trying to adopt the learning practices that has made other sports very successful. Yeah, but they're not also challenged, you know, that I don't think you have to go, you know, every day to the gym and challenge the coach. But, but you know, I will never call somebody professor. I don't know if maybe I eat my words in some day, but... I will not call jiu-jitsu people professors and uh, I will I don't think we have to bow to the mat and we have to have certain like oh you never ask higher belts to roll and there's so weird rules that some people if they're in that system they will defend those rules and if you're coming outside they look ridiculous I understand some rules are for safety and everything else I also say in the classes and in there's also seminars if you have to leave the mat let me know even if you take a like a you know toilet break, but it's for safety reason, because I, I want to know that maybe you have a bloody nose or maybe something happened that I have to know, you know, then I stop the class and I will take care of something. So it's not like I will stop you going to the toilet in that sense. But certain rules are for safety and uh, and people have like, you cannot sit this way because this disrespectful. I think it's kind of that those kind of small things they're they're sneaking in and then people have you know titles and you always have to name the titles first and and uh, so that is very very I, I don't think that's good that's debatable some people like it but I think if I really debate those people that do it they would lose the arguments in five minutes so I don't think there's justifications for that because I'm here for jiu-jitsu and I have to believe that jiu-jitsu comes first because I've seen when friendship comes first, like, you know, it's as, as Estonian, it's kind of joke in that sense. And I hope people, when they're listening, understand me better or correctly. But I have to be like jiu-jitsu, what we're after, let's say you and me, jiu-jitsu comes first because we are we are doing this and we're, you know, find want to find out something. But if usually it happens when we become good friends, then we start to less to critique each other. Mm -hmm. And then we even if you're doing something wrong, maybe I'm OK, yeah, it's good also. And then I let you be in that sense. But but I really have to go like uh, I feel like sometimes friendship destroys that realness in that sense. And but I think I like to think that Jiu Jitsu comes first and all the sport aspects and and we are here for that, you know, and everything is built. If that's honest, everything that comes after is honest. 
but it's if it's like some some weird stuff they sneak in then it becomes starts to become also less honest in that sense and and it kind of drifts away i don't want to have like a spartan gym when you rick's you know lift stones and everything is like really really like uh, only like hard sparring and stuff i'm not talking about that the sport doesn't mean only that but uh, i'm talking about certain attitude that i think helps to keep everything honest it's very helpful for everybody in that sense and then people can practice the art really have a practical skill and also the respect with people within or with with each other are are real because i'm only you know in that sense respected because what i can do and i'm i'm teaching because i know more mm -hmm. if somebody can do a better job why not so i usually if somebody calls me professor i usually tell them just don't and they sometimes they like you a little bit like you know feel weird in that sense because oh there's a respect thing but i like no 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 i have so much respect towards the academics that i'm not allowing that <laughs> so so all this all this what I, I i mean when i mean sport and i think people should challenge that attitude also because oh i this this and pre is maybe this is wrong i don't mind because it's not very very like very let's say super polished thought but this is how I think, like the sport aspect of this, the realness of it. That's all that matters. And then everything else is taken care of, that kind of attitude, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. I agree with you completely. <laughs> and I mean, if you're looking for disagreement, this is not the place where you're going to find it, because I think we're both on the same page here. For me, jujitsu is at its best when it operates like a lab, right? You know, everyone goes in and we're all doing experiments and we're trying to learn and get better. And yes, maybe one person is more senior than the others, but we're all here to learn. And whoever has the best insight at any moment should be given the floor so that they can share it. And then we all challenge those ideas and we try to get better together. All of the gyms I've seen that really excel take that kind of approach. What I don't like is a gym that operates more like a traditional martial arts stereotype where you come in, you bow to the picture of the dead guy on the wall, you bow to the master, you've got a bunch of rituals that you have to do, you know, there's an emphasis on loyalty and all of this stuff. That kind of stuff gets very gross very quickly. And I, I recall hearing you on Sonny Brown's podcast and you were, you had a really long talk about the one, <laughs> two, three clap thing yeah. that everyone's gym does. I love that talk because I know a lot of people are going to freak out about that, right? They're going to think, oh, it's just a one, two, three clap. Like, is that really going to hurt anyone? What's wrong with that? And I mean, will that in a bubble hurt people? No, probably not. But the reality is these little things compound on top of each other, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember when I started training jujitsu, I trained at a, at a Gracie Baja and it starts off, you know, you come into the gym and they make you do the bowing to the master. And it's like, okay, I don't know who this dead guy on the wall is, but I got to bow to him. Now I've got to bow to the instructor. Now I've got to follow all of these rituals. Now I've got to sew a patch onto my gi. Now I've got to buy the official gi. Now I can't talk to people who aren't part of the affiliation. And it just, it spirals down from there. So yeah, it is true that these little tiny rituals and, and these little like traditional martial arts quirks, individually, they might not be dangerous, but every one of them kind of gets you to stop asking questions and just follow along and, and kind of eventually what becomes little martial arts quirks if left unchecked because people stop questioning the instructor, like you said, eventually over years that can turn into a full-blown cult. And if I sound like I'm, you know, exaggerating here, I've seen it happen firsthand. It absolutely does happen firsthand and things can get really, really out of line if left unchecked. So. I think it is actually very important that we continuously question these weird practices that we have. Like, look, is is there any benefit to one, two, three clap? I, I'm not saying there is or there isn't. I mean, you could argue both ways, but like, let's not adopt weird little rituals and quirks without at least asking, why are we doing this? And that's something that a sport would do, right? You know, a sport yeah. is, you know, it's one thing to call someone coach. It's another thing to call someone like master, for example. That's one of the most despicable things about the martial arts, because that starts to get into the, the domain of people whose wisdom cannot be questioned. And if you look at a lot of the so-called masters in jujitsu, like you look at the like, you know, red belts or the however many striped black and red belts, like a lot of the stuff they're teaching now is 
totally not going to work. But people have just stopped questioning them over the years. So they just teach stuff and it doesn't encounter any realistic resistance in the field. So, I mean, I've seen like a lot of these jujitsu legends now who are putting their videos online and you watch this stuff and it's primitive. It would never work in a realistic situation against a good opponent, but they get away with putting this stuff out there because no one is questioning them. And that's something that I think we all have to be mindful of if we want to train like a sport. I agree because, you know, it's always funny to see seminar pictures and go, everybody's like, oh, it was amazing, you know? So really, I haven't seen any seminar that was bad or something, you know, like nobody was said the public, but maybe people are public and nice and there's some, you know, fame value and you saw somebody that's uh, that's been in a jiu-jitsu and you could uh, touch them with a finger, so to speak. And so there is, yeah, there is that side of jiu-jitsu that, that I don't understand. And I also maybe, I don't know, the Soviet countries or whatever, the, we have that bluntness a little bit and we're, we're not kind of, you know, too nice about it. Like always, like we know Americans are always like keep smiling. So people are too ni- always nice and not confronting, not saying anything bad because it's not polite. And also this kind of bubble is very dangerous because that uh, that feeds to the person that uh, teaches teaches stuff, you know, and like in a way that people that this, if the sport aspect is gone and then and you you get like, I don't know how many belts or what, what belts and, and then sometimes it gets to your head, you know. Do you even believe in the belt system out of curiosity? Because I'm not a big fan of it. I don't know. It's just, you know, it's easy to say if I, if I got a black belt now, it's easy for me to say, oh, you don't need one because uh, I got it. I'm very conflicted about it. I don't know what is the answer because I have benefits for both because I know for recreational people and you need something to measure against. So, so there's value. I know that some people start to chase it. So that that's kind of bad. I never chased belts. I can honestly really say that. Uh, I cannot, it's really hard for me to relate to two people that are chasing belts. But I, I feel some kind of, also if Jiu-Jitsu wouldn't have belts, like recreational people, and you would only have like, let's say, if you do Gi Jitsu, you would have a Sambo system, like a, let's say a red a red Gi or a, you know, a blue Gi, you know? And you just would do Jiu Jitsu just for Jiu Jitsu's sake. Then the usually the argument is that, oh, people would not uh, stay because they need, you know, tap on the back. They need something that uh, they feel they're getting better because Sambo and all those sports are very competition driven. So, you know, when you're getting better because you beat up better guys and recreational people are like, you know, what's their measurement? So, and, uh, but also the belts are conflicted because I don't know really what, what is a like 60, 70 year old, you know, black belt. If somebody mm-hmm. does jiu-jitsu and is 60, or let's say 70, and gets a black belt, there's been cases. I don't know what that means. That uh, is there like a then age group black belts that, but there has to be different standard them. And so is only belts necessary for certain age group that they can achieve black belt. And after some, it's not possible because I don't mind if somebody starts in late 40s or whatever, and they can only reach as an adult, maybe blue or purple belt in their life. And that's that's their peak and there's nothing else. But Jitsu teaches us kind of, it's like, oh, it's achievable, like a black belt. I really don't think it's actually possible. If you do honestly spar and do things, and I don't think it's really achievable. So maybe maybe I'm wrong. So I'm really conflicted and because I, I like both. And also, I guess if you would do a gi jiu-jitsu that also people enjoy, they usually like, you know, no gi, but most people like, like they watch no gi, but they do gi. And so does everybody has a white belt? I wouldn't even mind that. So, and also for business, I think it's good. You have certain like thing, like, you know, like a game has certain, you know, achievements and you get there and then you feel good, you stick around and you play longer, so to speak. So... That's interesting conversation that would have to get some, you know, one of the best logical minds together and then decide, you know, what would be the best because current system is also in some way corrupt, you know, that that some there's no standard. I'm actually not for like a, like a school standard, like, you know, academies and stuff would be like a national standard. Everybody would have a curriculum kind of the same or maybe some universities, you know, they can do their own, but kind of they're achieving certain things certain standard has to be there so maybe that is good so then i don't know if the belts are staying or not because it's not very regulated also so yeah so it's an interesting very complicated topic actually 
it is definitely a complicated topic. And I, I wonder, you know, we talked about the importance of belts for giving people a measuring stick of their own progress and as a kind of a sales incentive when you're trying to get casual people to stay at your gym. But I wonder, like, there are a lot of far more successful sports that don't have such a system, right? I mean, can you imagine if there was such a thing as a football black belt? <laughs> you know, <laughs> can you imagine watching like the NFL or watching FIFA and hearing, oh, you know, Lionel Messi, he's a, you know, a third degree soccer black belt, like such a thing doesn't exist. So clearly it's possible to have very successful sports without the notion of this belt ranking. And I know that, yes, we we think that we need it, but I actually wonder if in a lot of ways it's holding us back and it's one of the things that creates this fake hierarchy that makes people stop asking questions of their yes, instructor. Exactly. So that's what that brings us back to the original question that why I like the sports. Because I honestly think that if Jiu-Jitsu is taught as a sport, because if you're one hour class, you do a light warm-up, five to ten minutes. Then you do like introduction and, you know, 10, 15, whatever. And then you mostly drill progressive resistance, you gamify. And then I think people can feel that, let's say people feel motivated. People are feeling that they're getting better. There's autonomy, you know, the self-determination theory. That's the simple one that they have autonomy. They're making their own decisions. They're losing, they're winning. Social aspect with all the feedbacks and the competence, they're getting better. I think sometimes it's an easy solution, like those easy solutions, they sound really logical at first. Let's say, oh, you want that people respect the mat and don't hurt each other, make them bow to the mat, you know? It makes sense. Oh, maybe they bow to the mat, they respect the mat more. But actually, it's a bunch of crap, you know? Because if you, it depends what kind of environment is in a gym and people can be very respectful if the vibe is good and everything is good and uh, you don't need to extra like a clarifying kind of behavior that, okay, now I bow and now I bow. And same is with, uh, with the belts and stripes that it's easy to go like, oh, people need something because, you know, the games and video games and they're showing that they're very gratifying and they, they people chase them and they stay longer in a game. But also, it's so, so in the way that stripes and belts are easy fix to the complex problem, that also they sound logical at first. But I would say the better answer for a long-term answer, because you always start to, what about next stripe? What about next? So you're always empty inside and, and kind of like wanting more. But if you're happy in the present, and if your training methods are good, the vibe is good, you're playing around and you're feeling you're getting better, why would you quit? But usually the quitting and everything happens when you don't get it. Jiu-Jitsu is complicated. You're learning 20 sweeps a month and then you can spar, you get crushed and then you don't know what's going on. And then, oh, I have a stripe coming and maybe that motivates you. So I think in that sense, the better pedagogy or methods, I think they are the answer to make people stick to our sport longer. And then we have stripes or don't have stripes, who cares? But so, so that's kind of what I'm saying. It's very easy to have like an easy patch. Oh, let's make them bow. Or you, you have to show the respect, so call me professor. It's like, yeah, if you need that for your respect or whatever you need it, it's like, usually I tell people just call me God, you know, just let's get, let's, <laughs> let's totally get over the top, you know, let's go like berserk mode. Let's just call me Preet or God, just don't call me professor. <laughs> and, uh, so actually some people call call me God. It also sounds weird because they're you know they're playing the joke and you know, so it's kinda of like a laugh because they know what I mean by that. But so it's an easy fix, but I think if you're you know, if you do stuff well, if you act well, if you teach well, you get that respect and and everybody knows you have that respect and why would you have that no, you have to call me professor that. I think those are easy fixes that uh, that actually are serving the wrong purpose. And like you said before, like you add this and you add clapping and you add bowing and you add this, you can't talk to higher belts on your, you, you know. And then finally, after 10 years, all your good intentions drove the club or whatever the, you know, gym drove it to like a really weird direction that you cannot control anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. And you probably don't even know it's gone in a weird direction because at that point... Yeah. Because it's a slow, it's a slow burn. Yeah. And you've also created an echo chamber at that point, right? Because if you start creating that kind of cult-like hierarchy, 
you've created a world where people aren't questioning you and they're not pointing out to you that, hey, dude, this is really weird. You shouldn't be doing this. So you might be totally oblivious to the fact that you've created this really toxic environment. And that's kind of one of the problems, because like you said, it's a slow burn. There's no feedback to the instructor. I agree with what you're saying completely. I, you know, one of the things that I would ask people who feel this need for respect, you know, if you feel if you as an instructor feel you need students to respect you and so you want them to bow to you. You want them to call you professor. You want them to not talk to higher belts. You know, if that's really important to you, I would ask you two questions. Question number one is, why do you feel such a need for respect all the time? And question number two would be, why don't people respect you already? Why do you need all of these surface level tricks to get people to respect you? Because yeah, maybe you can get people to bow to you and stuff, but there's a deeper problem, right? You know, why don't they really actually respect you? Why do you need to have all of these tricks and window dressing to create the appearance of respect? I would be much more interested in knowing that people actually respect what I'm doing rather than that they followed all of these protocols that I've created for them. So that's something that I, I would wonder about when we start asking people to show respect, right? I, It's one thing to actually be able to go through the motions and bow and do all of the stuff, but it's far more important to me that we all have a healthy respect for our colleagues, and that doesn't require a lot of protocol. Yeah, and uh, you know that usually parents are putting their kids to the martial arts school because, oh, they learn discipline. I'm not a parent yet, but it seems like, you know, something could be off in a home and then, you know, then somebody, they, they need like input from the from somebody else that uh, takes care of it. And, you know, th it's also a deeper problem, but always martial arts been been uh, connected to the oh it's discipline it's respect and you have those karate you know films and stuff and but i don't i don't think that you know i don't know playing football is also if he's a good coach people respect and it's a sport and sometimes they punch each other in the face and they fake a bit there but still i think some respect is there and you, you can take a like let's say rugby players like you know all blacks I think in that group, there's a, I would expect, you know, that I, I'm speculating here, that there will be a lot of respect among each other. And so I think just forcing that or, but it, I think it looks good. Like we talked with uh, uh, Sony about clapping. And if, you know, if somebody comes to the gym and sees like everybody in a white gi, everybody kind of lines up, everybody sits nicely in a class and, and listen to coach and everybody claps and everybody says professor, and it looks very good. And I guess it looks structured, looks like there's an order and it's appealing a bit. And uh, maybe there's some evolutionary reasons why it's appealing to us. Like, you know, girls are always like the, the boys in a uniform, you know, like it says something. So those kind of, I don't know, it's not like fake environments, but something is there that it's appealing There's certain rituals who are sneaking in. But I, I really think like just keeping it honest, like, you know, sport, playing the sport, all the methodologies. And so that's what I usually mean. So, so, and everybody can, you know, put a little bit in or add this or add that, but, but I don't mean like, you know, sport as medals that you have to compete. And so that side of it. So sport has many sides. That's one of that, if somebody wants, but usually in Estonia also, when I did, I think when I did karate or something, it was like, I don't know, 20 years back or something. There was always like traditional karate guys that were basically bashing sport that, oh, it's about medals and they, they are doing the real kind of, you know, real karate or whatever it was, that it's about self-improvement and everything else. And then it was like, uh, in that sense, it was laughable because self-improvement, you know, competing helps a lot, you know, and if you're, if you're chasing like, you know, medals and everything else, that's, I guess, also lesson to be learned. If you chase them too much, you will get also burned and then you know more. So that's also very big self-improvement. But I think sports at all is very, very mental. And if somebody wants to really get in touch with themselves, like really understand something, then playing sports, I think a lot of, lot of good, like mental, I don't know, peaks. Imagine like doing world, world records, like, you know, jumping centimeter higher than before or something. What kind of concentration or something you have to have to pull it off? under pressure everybody's watching this is your moment in that moment you have to concentrate so playing like uh, looking down on sports oh it's about medals i think it's it's very sad when people say that so not everybody should do that but so the the meaning of sports i mean a lot of things in a way i'm meaning all the good things that sports offers but there's always you know 
exceptions and things can go left, like we say. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I got a question for you. What are the things that you think we as a community should do to make jujitsu more like a sport in that regard? What are the things that gym owners listening to this could take away and implement to add those best practices from other sports? I don't know. A simple one, very simple, read books about teaching and clearly half an hour warm up, three techniques and then roll is not the way to go. And also it has to be like a curiosity. If somebody is interested, then it's already like a better, so to speak. And if you are not, you know, if you're not reading how to teach or if you are not taught how to teach, the possibility that you don't know how to teach is pretty high because people go to, you know, school to learn how to teach and present and what's important. So I'm self-taught, you know, I'm reading books and seeing this and that and watching, listening smart people to talk and, and I, I do okay, but I'm almost tweaking and finding out this and that. So so just having a better methods, I think this right away, and it also solves very many problems when I, when I say teaching sports, it, solve, it solves a problem that I always emphasize of uh, teaching techniques. And it's also a complex problem, but I, I will say it more simplistically. It's uh, always, you know, in, fair to say that twice, uh, you train twice a week as a recreational player. Maybe we talked about it before, I don't know. But then, you know, twice a week, uh, it's fair to say that you can learn two techniques in a class. So it's four new techniques that you learn in a week that you have to pull off. You can never forget. And then in two weeks, it's eight techniques. And in a month, it's 16 new things like guard passes, maybe submission, sweep, whatever it is. And to be fair, let's cut it in half. Maybe it's half his concept, whatever, but still it's eight new things that people are supposed to put in their game and never forget. And I would ask who learns like this because even I've done jiu-jitsu 20 years and even I can't. I cannot put eight new things in my game in a, in a month. And we're asking, minimally asking beginners to do that, people who have never done this sport. And the reasoning usually for people doing that is, oh, but I have to keep them interested. And there lies a problem because they're thinking that, oh, showing them new crazy option, this and new crazy option there that keeps them interested. But I would just go like, uh, but treat it as a sport, uh, make them play games and just uh, raise resistance. Let's say if you have a far side underhook, you basically, let's say you can start from Kimura grip and you go Kimura or armbar. You start really from, you know, north, south opponent is on their side. You have a Kimura grip and you just go Kimura or, you know, armbar. If you can, you know, six out of 10 minimum, maybe, or even five out of 10 finish that submission, then don't step to north-south, step uh, one step away from north-south and then uh, go to, again, uh, drilling starts, progressive resistance, try to get to north-south and try to get the grip, but you, you know, and then if that's okay, then just only start with underhook and then you have to get to the north-south and then you have to get Kimura on armbar. So you progressively make it harder. And people will be interested of, you know, a month, let's say, like jokingly, if you just do this, because bottom person can just raise resistance to the like 100% if necessary. So the one thing could always be interesting to teach and to train, and people find out so many details about it, and they're learning to control the chaos. So that's what I mean also by, by, by teaching it as a sport. And so, and then, then you don't have to find like every month, a thousand new techniques to teach to people, because when you see fights, we don't see thousand new, new techniques. We just see the goddamn armbar and we see the goddamn Kimura and guillotine. But when we look classes, then we see that we're teaching people like thousand techniques. And then, you know, what, what is their reason? They could just maybe get better of that. You know, I call jiu-jitsu glue, so to speak, like uh, controlling and moving and then so there is there is better method to transfer skill to people, and uh, I really encourage people to to look towards that information, how you really teach a skill, and how really gamifying and making people play and how to teach. Like don't just don't show technique, don't show like details, like a, the ten details that make you look good because you can know you know the details. Let them figure it out, guide them. So. There's a different way when, when the sport aspect is introduced, the methods change. And I think even as I've seen, people enjoy it way more. And they're actually pulling off the things they, they learned in that class. 
like repeatedly, not only like one talented person, but most of the class, not even like 55%, most of the class will pull it off in a first class. So this is the first-hand experience, like pretty much every class I have, if they, if they spar. So I, I really encourage that there's a way, and uh, if somebody's interested, you know, they can contact me, they can contact you. There's many, many people that I know uh, Rob, Rob is doing the concept stuff and he's talking about it. So there is a, like a small movement that's a little bit pushing the boundaries. So I'm happy about it. Yeah, I really love what you said about learning how to teach because this is a vastly underserved area of jujitsu. You know, most instructors not only have no no training in how to teach, but they've never even bothered to look into it. They've never bothered to research it or read a book on the topic. They just assume that if they're good at jujitsu, that must mean that they're also good at teaching jujitsu. But the one thing that, you know, any, any good coach can tell you is that the art of coaching in teaching is a completely different skill set from being an individual contributor, right? Being an athlete who does it themselves is completely different. And a lot of black belts, I think they kind of, you know, I don't know if it's an ego thing or what, but they assume that if you've got a black belt, oh, you must know everything, including how to teach. Well, we had a uh, Valerie Worthington on the podcast recently. And one of the things that she astutely brought up is you're not a black belt in everything. You know, you might be a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, that doesn't mean that you know how to teach Brazilian jiu-jitsu well. It might not even mean that you know everything about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It just means that in some way you carved out enough skill and experience to merit a black belt. But you still need to have that intellectual humility. And everyone who has any interest in, in ever teaching or communicating information, in fact, even people who don't, they should take the time to do some research into teaching techniques because I think they'll be shocked by how wrong they are in what they've been doing. We had Cal McDonald uh, from Island Top Team on the podcast a while back to talk about how he teaches kids. And he is extremely well-researched on the topic. And I was blown away from listening to him talk about all of the things I simply did not know. Like I had just been teaching jujitsu the way it was taught to me, which is, you know, you go in and for 30 minutes, there's some sort of warm up, And then for 30 minutes, there's some random technique I want to show. And then for 30 minutes, we spar. And if I really want to feel like I've actually thought this through, then maybe I'll do a month where I teach similar related techniques. But it turns out that's actually not an optimal way to teach people. It might feel intuitive and it might be what my instructor taught me, but there are actually very well-researched methods that are far superior for helping people learn and recall information versus what most gyms do, where they've got like a, you know, a theme of the month, like we're going to do side control stuff for this month. That is not necessarily the most optimal way to learn. So I really do recommend that if you have any interest in teaching, or even if you don't, go out of your way to look into what kind of methods actually work when you're trying to teach things, engage students, and have them retain information. I think you'll be shocked by how wrong your intuition is on this regard. Yeah, and the, you know, there's, I don't know which logical fallacy it is, you know, that we all fall to like, oh, I got a black belt this way of training, so I continue this way of training, because maybe you were just like one of thousand talented one, you know, those success stories, somebody just got good. And what else I think, if I say a lot of people, then I, I'm kind of lying, but I'm saying I know enough people that have said that they, smart people, you know, that people know a thing or two about, about teaching and stuff, but they're white belts. And uh, they feel that, oh, I'm a white belt and he's a black belt. And uh, that's also why I don't like belts. And because they're like engineers, or I, I met like school teachers, and they're, they're like always wondering why, like, oh, maybe Jiu-Jitsu is taught differently that I don't want to tell the coach that maybe, you know, they should read a book or two. And I usually tell them just go, just you're not a white belt person, you know, you're a white belt in Jiu-Jitsu, but maybe in your field, education, engineering, whatever you can, you can teach stuff, how to re-engineer, how to, how to use different methods. So you can have that discussion because you can tell them your credentials, why you're worth listening to. And uh, even if you're a white belt, don't don't be because in your field you're an expert maybe. And so so usually that uh, people feel oh I'm a white belt, but uh, so that's also like you know black belt, white belt, whatever. So that environment maybe it's uh, because I usually I'm amazed how how much I'm I'm surrounded in seminars by by experts of different fields that are just like you know 
having blue belt and white belt and they're learning something, but they're actually very, very smart people. So, so if I get to the chance to talk to them or, you know, after the class or whatever. And so I'm, I'm really like, I'm just gonna like draw a drop sometimes like, oh shit, this is those guys. And he does this and he's very, you know, financially kind of like educated in this. And so in that sense, I also recommend that people would, would coaches, whatever, would get to know their people, so to speak, that, and if they know them, maybe it's easier to approach them or ask for help, or maybe even for them to tell the coach, if you're more connected to people that maybe they can offer help. But if there's a certain, I don't know, respect for wall or whatever, there usually is like certain circles in the gyms, you know, that some people interact more and some less. And I guess it's a gym vibe thing that can, can you tell a person, can you not? But I, I want to usually empower people that if you know you're right, you're educated, you have your evidence in your side, why not tell a black belt that, like, you know, not calling them out publicly, but, but uh, just, you know, approaching them and uh, say, asking that if they're, if they're interested of knowing more about teaching, because you know something about it, then you want to help and there's really improvement that can be made. And uh, I don't know, I, I hope the good things come out of that. But I also understand that maybe it's just awkward and maybe it's a backlash. So, so I'm not like taking responsibility, but I, I really want that, that kind of people who know wouldn't feel fear to step forward in that sense, because, because why not help? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this is a bias that a lot of so-called black belts need to overcome, right? Which is the willingness to go to white belts or blue belts for help in the areas where those white belts and blue belts are more advanced than they are. There's this, uh, you know, you were talking about cognitive biases. There's one called the halo effect, which is what I think you're talking about here. And that is where your initial perception of someone colors everything else about them when it comes to how you judge them. So if I, if you look at me and I'm, you know, I'm big and athletic, which I'm not, but let's say I was, you know, and I've, you know, I've got a black belt and I've got 20 gold medals on my wall. Your initial perception of me is going to be, holy moly, this guy is like a freaking champ. This guy must be awesome. And then when I start talking about things way outside of my domain, you know, when I start talking about politics and science and investment advice and teaching methodologies and health, you know, you're going to be predisposed to believe me because your initial yeah. perception was so positive. And the opposite can be true, right? If someone comes into your class and they're rocking a white belt and then they start talking about, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, your initial reaction is going to be to disregard them because you see them wearing a white belt. That's the halo effect in action. And it's a very nasty cognitive bias where your first impression of someone can color every other subsequent impression that you, you have about them. So that's another reason why I don't like the belt system is because it creates this visual indicator that triggers the halo effect and can lead to some really stupid decision making. Yeah. So that's what, it, that's what we talked earlier, that it's a really complex problem that kind of they have good sides and bad sides and but to go like i'm not that far in my career yet to just maybe go like oh, let's ditch it so let's start the revolution let's push it you know we don't need belts for just everybody puts uh actually i couldn't pull it off and i i think i i had a mindset i don't know 10 15 years ago whatever that you should wear a belt what kind of color your geese and i know i'm com i competed also i was a purple belt but I wore a competition. It was Finland. I wore a blue belt, and there was a, there was a joke was on the belt that this is a purple belt, but blue looks better with my gi. <laughs> so so I had this, and then I went to gyms, and then I rolled some gyms, and they, some people were very pissed because you know I was I was doing okay, and they were happy that blue belt were kicking their ass, and then I said no no I'm a purple belt, and they were so relieved. <laughs> and uh, so, but I guess that phase kind of passed because, you know, ridiculous phase would be like, you know, somebody, you know, somebody buys a black gi and then they have to wear a black belt, you know. So mm -hmm. that, that, that joke went too far in some point because <laughs> actually some person, I think, bought the black belt. Yeah, yeah. Man. And so that ended not good, but in a way that was kind of the, like a Sambo approach, you know, you have a, whatever gi you have, wear that belt. Yeah. So, yeah. I am all for fashion-based belt choices. I <laughs> choose the color that coordinates best with whatever gi you're wearing. That would be pretty awesome, actually.
Yeah, kind of like a, it kind of throws the kind of big wrench into the system. So, <laughs> so I hope some smart mind, uh, some smart minds will figure it out. But maybe it's already, you know, train has left the station, so it's really hard to stop. So we have to go with the with the flow, so to speak. That it is mm-hmm. what it is, and it, it got it got this way, and now it's really late to change. Or there has to be like uh, what they do the currency. What's the English word? The devaluation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So something that's just maybe collapse and let's build it again. So, but I don't think Jiu-Jitsu has come to that point and we can go like, okay, maybe, maybe let's say if uh, governments or something take over, you know, like they're putting Jiu-Jitsu under like a government program or something that, you know what I mean? Like a government mm. sports or official curriculums and stuff. Like regulated. Yeah. Yeah. So then maybe we can, you know, change something because I think in Sweden, there was an interesting incident that. I hope somebody can correct me also if somebody listens, but it was something like this, that that the Swedish, it was a couple of years ago, I, I think maybe more, Swedish government didn't allow to have white belts and blue belt uh, and, uh, Swedish champions in maybe in a gi or something, maybe it was or no gi, because they were like, what the fuck is like white belt, blue belt, Swedish <laughs> champion. So so they, I think they made it like something like this, that uh, purples and blacks, they fought together and they were the, you know, national champions. And white and blue belt, maybe it was like a regional champion, you know, white belt or something. They competed there. So Swedish government was really against that. What the hell is that, you know? That's actually really sensible in a lot of ways. I mean, I know that that's kind of become one of the jokes is that people are like, you know, they call themselves a world champion when they won at white belt. I mean, I'm not going to take away from that. It's still an impressive accomplishment to to win a tournament at that scale, even if it is white belt. But like you said, at that point, you're not really talking about who's the best. You're talking about either who is the most athletic or who has trained the longest in a related discipline. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a a strange, I kind of like the trend because, you know, Jitsu is geared a lot of towards recreational players, you know, and it's the way to make money. And those players are now influenced. But also, you know, sport is, I watched like those Right now, this world championship in, uh, I don't know, they shoot and they ski. What's the sport? I don't know. Yeah. So they shoot a very, like, uh, you know, they shoot in a ski, they're 15 kilometers. They shoot when they lay down and they stand up. So they are the best, you know, there, you know, there's not going to be like, I don't know, white belt gold medalist there. It's like the best of the best. And that's why I enjoy that because I, I watch that from TV. But I understand the business reasoning, you know, why people do it. And uh, I don't know if we should allow it or, you know, gov- Swedish government kind of took action. It was like, oh, no, we're not doing that. But I guess the IBGF is a business. They can do whatever they want. It, it, maybe it could be done differently. That would be more honest, so to speak, that how we would call mm-hmm. people. Like uh, maybe only black belts could be world champions and everybody else is called differently, whatever champion. Because it is weird that we're just producing like, uh, I don't know, amounts and amounts of world champions. Yeah. And uh, so that's also the, like a really weird problem to have that kind of goes a little bit again, like to the, we call it to the left a bit because it gets under control because soon everybody is a world champion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Preet, I really appreciate you speaking out on all of this stuff and <laughs> being being one of the voices of reason to try to bring sound educational principles and practices to the arts. If people want to learn more about your material, where do they go to find you? I want to say also, like, it's uh, it's a Estonian joke now. Yeah? I always have to tell if the joke. It's kind of boring to talk to you because we agree too much. I know. <laughs> so it's like there's no resistance. Like, you agree. Okay, God damn it. So <laughs> I also enjoy that talking with you. That's the truth because, because I see so much things, you know, that I disagree with people and people resist and stuff. And then I they hear you and your voice of reason and stuff. It kind of makes me very happy that there's people out there like, like you also that are doing those things that I also appreciate. So mm-hmm. I, I, I don't mind this talk at all, but I had to make some one, at least one Estonian joke. So, <laughs> so but uh, people can find me. So where I am these days, uh, definitely defensive BJJ is defensive BJJ. Yeah. com is where I am pretty active. We're doing good in those, even those slow times. What else? I'm lurking in Reddit, so some people don't know that, but I'm reading those posts and like searching my name and stuff, so I see what people do. But also replying if somebody tags me, I guess. So what else? I'm not traveling so much, like uh, you can't find seminars right now because of COVID. So, but Facebook, uh, really, I'm very active posting stuff, maybe having some discussions, Instagram. 
Instagram is my, I think, Jits Vulcan. Guys, you can find it, my name also, Preet, Preet Michelson. So those social media platforms and also my online site, I guess, I'm the most active right now there. Awesome. And I definitely recommend people check out your stuff, especially defensive BJJ. I mean, my I think my game, part of the reason we agree a lot is because my game is very similar, I think, to the kind of stuff that you teach. And, you know, something that you've said in the past, and we talked about the prior time that you were on the podcast was that, yes, everyone says, oh, you know, the best the best defense is a good offense. And that's true to some extent. But it's not always possible to get a good offense and you need to have a solid base that can get you back on track, right? When people say things like, oh, you shouldn't play defense in jujitsu because then you'll never win. Well, dude, what is jujitsu, right? Jujitsu is a whole sport that it's its single most defining characteristic is the fact that you can win if you get your ass kicked and you wind up on the bottom on the ground, right? Jujitsu is all about fighting back from defensive positions. So if you're going to tell me that you shouldn't have defense or that you shouldn't focus on defense, really what you're also saying is, in my opinion, that you shouldn't train jujitsu, which is a ridiculous thing to say. This is, yeah, like a very easy logical fallacy that people have, you know, that. So Mm -hmm. I don't mind, so. Yeah. I mean, you can have all of the the offense in the world, but man, if you have one, actually, you know what, let's talk about this a little bit. I mean, you can, if you have one hole in your armor, it doesn't matter how good your offense is. If your opponent finds the, a way to exploit it, like some case studies I would present in terms of people who, who represent this. If you look at, you know, Mackenzie Dern versus Gabby Garcia, or you look at a lot of Lachlan's fights in the absolutes, or you look at a lot of Marcelo's fights back in the old days, you will see guys who's really one of their defining characteristics is you could not kick their ass. Like they, they would basically get turfed around like a beach ball by this other person, but their defense was so good that they could hang in there against a way larger opponent until they found an opening. Or in the case of Mackenzie Dern, she could survive long enough to win off of a, off of, you know, a penalty. So these are situations where, yeah, like, yeah, if you're the bigger, more athletic person, sure, have all the offense that you want. But if you are training for any reason beyond just being the bigger, more athletic person, you've got to have defense because all it takes is one hole in your defense to lose the match. So big fan yeah. of, I'm not saying that you should prioritize defense over offense, but failing to build a solid defense is a huge problem if you want to train jujitsu. Yeah. And also there's, you know, so many things you can say, like if you don't have a good defense, then you're, you're sloppier and way more aggressive than you have to be to covering for your loss because this defense sucks. So you're attacking in a wrong time to compensate for a weak defense. And uh, what what else I like, usually it's, I I think least it's more samurai, samurai way, because, you know, there's, Anecdotal talks about, you know, two samurais are, you know, facing each other, they sit and one leaves because he couldn't find a way to beat him. So I think just having a good defense, I think it's way more demoralizing because if you know, like you said, you you know, you you see a way to for the win. Oh, he has that hole. I have to just, you know, half an hour, I take my time and finally I will time it. But if you see no way to win because the defense is so good, I think is like the ultimate demoralizing tool because why would you even fight? And so I think that's like a, like, I like the true samurai stuff that, you know, they face each other and just one leaves without the fight because the fight was over before it even begun. So, so that's ideal, I know, but really like, a, it's easier to build an offense when you have a solid defense. And, and because, you know, like a really simple one, I usually tell people that example, you know, you will punch in MMA way better if you know your wrestling defense is on spot because otherwise you just you're afraid to like Ramon Decker and Kenki Sudo match. I think people can Google it because Ramon Decker is one of the best at his time. He, he wasn't in his prime when they fought Kenki Sudo, but I think he didn't throw any punches and then Kenki did a double leg and leg lock to him because uh, you know you can't punch because you're afraid of that he takes you down so your defense is not on spot so you're afraid to use your offense so it's easy to like debate people on this and uh, they usually they see oh yeah i was wrong but to say it like oh you need offense and you don't have to have a good defense it sounds good when you say it but when you debate it i think it doesn't make any sense yeah and i think a lot of people also misrepresent the argument which is they're saying they, they think you're saying or they choose to interpret what you're saying as only have defense, which is not at all what yeah. you're saying. You're just saying, I teach defense. 
I teach everything, I guess, but I personally do it more because I want to study it. So my game is totally tilted towards that. But I've never said that somebody has to roll like me. I do, but I just I do my research, and that part of the game the people can borrow from me, and they can attack as much as they want. But I'm studying stuff, so I'm doing this way over the proportions I have to because I want to mm -hmm. find out. So. So that's always been my my reasoning and i never said like you know that's the best style or whatever that i i clearly take it to the extreme and uh, so i would say i suffer so no so people could suffer less yeah <laughs> well if to the listeners out there i mean if you want to develop a defensive game that is so annoying that you will beat your opponents <laughs> just by frustrating them defensivebjj.com Again, that's defensivebjj.com. Yes. <laughs> and if you want to support us, as always, patreon.com slash bjjmentalmodels. That's the best way that you can support the show and help us keep the lights on. In addition to, of course, helping support us, you get all sorts of awesome perks for that, like premium content and access to our awesome, awesome community discord. So please do consider supporting us there. Patreon.com slash bjjmentalmodels. And if you want to learn more about the concepts that we talk about on the show, get on our, our Wicked mailing list or just reach out and contact us. BJJMentalModels.com is the way to do that. Preet, again, thank you so much for your time. Really awesome conversation. Of course, you're always welcome. I, Even though we agree on everything, I love having you here because it's, I think you and I, <laughs> we're, we're part of a select group of people out there who just like, we love to play defensive, love the turtle. So it's, I feel like this is my safe space. So <laughs> thank you again so much for your time. We have to uh, talk a little bit to find something we disagree on and then we can have a nice conversation. <laughs> Yeah, well, tell you what, we'll figure out something and then we'll come back yeah. and we'll just scream at each other for an hour. Good for ratings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot, Preet. Take care. Thanks. Take care.